What's up, Ram Nation? Welcome into another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by High Plains Strains, the Northeastern Colorado dispensary providing top quality cannabis and a wide variety of products. If you give them a visit, be sure to mention DNVR to take advantage of their deals. I hope everybody is enjoying their week so far. I was on DNVR Rams Live yesterday with my guy Andre Simone, just kind of giving some general Mountain West takeaways, talking about the path to a title for this team. I was on the Denver Sports Podcast this morning with Harrison Wind. If you want to check that out, we kind of talked about this team, Nico Medved's legacy, Isaiah Stevens. Harrison just kind of picked my brain on all of it, so that was a lot of fun. Go check that out. And uh, earlier, I was fortunate to catch up with my good buddy, Kevin Lytle of the Fort Collins, Coloradoan. We chopped it up on the win over New Mexico, the takeaways from that. Just kind of set the scene going into this matchup against Utah State. They've had a great start, but kind of a, an unknown, just given the the lack of quality wins at this point. Really impressive that they've taken care of business. But, I mean, this is a chance for CSU to pick up a nice quality road win. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I picked his brain on football in the 2024 signing class. We talked about uh, some of the guys that could be in the all-conference mix for CSU Hoop. So it was a really loaded podcast. I think you guys are going to enjoy it quite a bit. So uh, with that in mind, let's just go ahead and get right to that interview. All right, we've got Kevin Lytle of the Fort Collins, Colorado win here on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by High Plains Strains. Kevin, first off, thanks for giving us some of your time. It's a really fun basketball season. Obviously, the Rams 13-1, and kind of achieving unprecedented heights here. What were your main takeaways from that win over New Mexico Tuesday night? Because, you know, kind of started uh, a little choppy, made some defensive adjustments, never really shot the three ball all that well. But all things considered, I feel like this is a win a couple months from now we're going to look back on as pretty key, especially at home with the students gone. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree there. Um, I think one, like we know this team is deep, you know, it continues to show, but it it showed again um, in this one. You know, I think New Mexico is, you know, one of the deeper teams in the league, uh, but CSU kind of wore them down and, and just has so many different options and ways they can, you know, beat you both offensively and defensively. You know, New Mexico's carving CSU up there for a while. And then you know, I really thought, uh, Rashad Bimba and, and Tavy Jackson, what they did in the second half defensively really helped change that game. And, you know, you know, you look at the stat sheet and, you know, you say, well, you know, those guys didn't do much, but, you know, they did. I think we all felt a big impact on, on what they did defensively. And then um, sort of hand in hand with that, the offense, again, the ball just moves so well that there's always a surge coming. Like it honestly it didn't really feel like they really played that great an offensive game, but the, the numbers end up really good, and you had, you know, I think three, you had two tenos and a nine zero run in the game, and obviously those kind of decided there. So, uh, just the way the ball moves and the the weapons they have, there's just always a surge available that's gonna come at some point. You know, sure, you know, I guess the St. Mary's game is the one where it didn't really, but, but overall, it just keeps happening, and this team just finds a way to, you know, get through. Like you say, those choppy moments or lulls or whatever you want to call it. Um, and in, in part because they just have so many weapons. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I mean, even in that St. Mary's game, despite their struggles, they still, I mean, only lost by three and had a chance to tie. So it's, I think it just kind of speaks to the maturity and versatility of this group. I also think you're spot on in terms of your assessment of Bemba and 
KV coming in and really just kind of changing the the tone of that matchup. I mean, th- th- those are some guys that'll pick up some fouls, but I like it. They're, they're not afraid to use them. They're not going to get bullied. And kind of off of that, going into this matchup against Utah State Saturday night, obviously Grant Osabor, he's a force. I mean, he's a big dude down in the block. Do you think we see more Bemba in this matchup, especially just for what he brings to the table defensively? Yeah, totally. I think, you know, in some ways that physicality is what CSU, you know, certainly missed last year and and kind of has been missing as, yeah, those guys will get fouls, but that's fine. I mean, you know, they're coming off the bench. You don't need them playing 30 minutes a game. So those fouls are, are kind of fine. And, you know, we've joked about, you know, the, People shouting us every year about CSU needs a seven footer. It's like, no, you need the right physical player inside. And that's what Bimba is. Um, he is not afraid to, to throw his weight around and, and muscle in. So, yeah, I think uh, it pretty much most games, but yeah, I think Saturday against Utah State is going to be another one where you're going to need some valuable minutes from him. Again, those valuable minutes might lead to two total points or something like that, but he can play 14 great minutes and, and barely score at all but be really valuable for CSU. I think Saturday is going to be one where you're going to need him. You know, it's, I, I know students are out, so I'll see how that impacts them, but it's going to be a pretty hot environment there. Um, you know, and Logan, the spectrum can really, really get going. So you're going to need some of that. Just, you know, muck it up and grind through some things. And that's where, you know, Bimba and Tavy come in. What's your assessment of this Utah state team so far, obviously off to a hot start, but, when you look at the strength of record, it's not phenomenal. I mean, they've got a couple of nice wins in there. Obviously, the start, given what they lost, I think is pretty impressive. But what are your thoughts going into this one? Because like you mentioned, it's never an easy place to play. This is one of those where I feel like you're not going to get the respect of like going into Viejas or even probably Thomas and Mac and pulling out a win on a national level. But this is a program that's been really competitive through multiple staffs now for the majority of the last decade. Obviously, you know, Osabor's in the all-conference mix. Just kind of what's your gut going into this one? Yeah, it kind of split where you said of, you know, returning zero minutes that played last year, zero points, new coaching staff and everything to be 13-1 no matter what your schedule is. That's incredible. I mean, the great work, obviously, Danny Sprinkle must know is doing recruiting that he had Osabor and there is the the point guard out at Montana State. I mean, the feels like those are some misses for some other programs. So credit to him for finding those guys. So on that hand, I'd say absolutely, you know, doing really well, far exceeding, you know, outside expectations, you know, including my own. But yeah, the schedule, you know, you can't ignore it. It makes sense why they would schedule, you know, kind of softish with all that new, but they haven't had huge tests, you know, especially you know, to the level of CSU. On the flip side, CSU hasn't had a road game like this. CSU is 2-0 on the road. No offense to UNC or LMU, but neither of those are really hostile. I know the Creighton game was, you know, a pseudo-road environment. You know, I was out there in Kansas City. It was obviously Creighton favor, but I wouldn't say it was, like, daunting or anything like that. So this will be, you know, on the CSU side, the first big test like that. But uh, Utah State, this is a great opportunity, you know, if you're looking from the Aggie side of, Proving themselves, you know, the metrics right now are decent, but I think, you know, most bracket projections, I know it's early for those, but have them you know, ride on that bubble because of the lack of quality wins. You know, the fact that they're 13-1 and not receiving votes, 
in the polls tells you, you know, what most people view of their schedule. So for them, it's a huge opportunity. And, and I think they are still a, a significant question mark. They're definitely a good team, but how good, um, we just don't know yet. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. I think it's going to be a big learning moment for both these teams. We're going to kind of, it's a good test to see kind of just where you're at. I mean, obviously the CSU team's pretty proven, but I'm I'm with you. I think in a hostile environment, it'll be interesting to see how they respond, especially if they go down or something like that. They've been so composed that, you know, even if you went like down 10 or something in the first half, I, I really wouldn't freak out that much. But kind of off of that, Again, it's it's far too early to have a realistic picture of what the, the Mountain West is going to look like as far as uh, March Madness goes. But it, it does seem like four bids is kind of the hope or you know expectation at this point. We're even seeing five get projected in, in some circles. Outside of CSU, who do you kind of view as the, the biggest threat to the Rams? I assume it's San Diego State. And if it is them, who else would you throw out there? Yeah, totally. I think um, I had that. Someone asked me that in the mailbag, and you know, New Mexico I think is is really good, but their kind of volatility. I don't trust them to win enough on the road. Now, on the flip side, the pit's gonna be a nightmare because you know when they hit a couple shots in the pit, that thing just goes wild. Uh, but I think they're probably just too volatile. Nevada, I think, is really good. Again, not the best schedule, but you know, guys like Jared Lucas, we've seen them play a lot. They're they're gonna be really solid. Uh, um, CSU, San Diego State, and Utah State. Utah State, I say, I think they're really good, but I need to see it against these top teams before I can really believe it. And, you know, Nico Medved, he said, you know, about a week ago of you know, San Diego State's the king. Some of that, I think, was Nico trying to, to help take the spotlight and pressure off his team. But I think there's also truth to that. I mean, that team played in the, you know, freaking national championship and they've pretty much owned the Mountain West. So I, you know, I kind of ride with that of um, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt as, you know, a top contender until someone else, whether it's CSU or, you know, other proves otherwise. So, yeah, I think um, San Diego State has to be the top threat right now. And, you know, they they wobbled a little bit in non-conference play and then they go and kind of thump Gonzaga at Gonzaga, which not many teams do. And it's like that was a little bit of a, you know, hey, boys, we're still here from San Diego State. And no, it's not vintage Gonzaga. But still, going in there and winning by double digits, that's impressive. And they avoided bad losses. I mean, BYU yep. and GCU on the road are not going to kill you. They they had a couple of moments where they probably should have lost. But that's, I mean, that's what good programs do. They find a way to win yep. even when they don't have their best game. So I think the road still does have to go through San Diego until proven otherwise. How many league wins do you think it's going to take to take the title? I think Ken Palm had CSU going 14-4. and four. They've done that twice. That's the high watermark in terms of Mountain West wins for this program, but they finished twice both times. I do think with the the just kind of teams at the top that it, it could be a situation where 14 does get it done this year, but I wonder if it is going to take that 15th win to ultimately pull it out. Yeah, I uh, I've been saying 14 is the max. It's it's hard for me to see 15 wins because you have so many good teams at the top there that's just going to be really everyone's going to lose at least three for sure yeah that's my thought i mean i think that's a bare minimum i even um you know just losing three if you will 
that that feels really hard for me. So I, I keep saying 14 and four, I think. I could even see a way where 13, you have multiple teams at 13. That's probably less likely, but it wouldn't blow my mind. So yeah, for me, I, I think if you get to 14, your worst case in my mind is that you're tied with someone and you know we go into the tiebreaker nonsense and all that. But I think 14 gets you to the top spot is my feel because there are just too many good teams. And even a little bit of the mid-tier, like UNLV is going to beat some teams at, at TMN, T and M. Uh, Boise is going to beat some teams. You know, Boise, I don't think, is good enough to sustain for 18 games. But I think they're going to have a say in the title race because of who they beat. Um, so I think that top, you know, six to seven, there are just too many losses out there to, to think someone's going, you know, certainly 60 and two. And even for me, 50 and three is a little bit of a stretch. So I think if you get to 14, you're feeling really, really good. So take care of business at home, you know, minimum one home loss and, and see if you can be around 500 ish on the road is kind of the formula. That makes sense. I think you got to go like five and three in the eight games against the the top four. Probably have to avoid getting swept by San Diego State just because that could yeah. be, you know, what does you in if it does come down to tiebreakers. But it's going to be tight. It's going to be fun. Uh, just one more hoops question, then we'll uh, get a couple of football questions in and then we'll get out of here. Who are the guys you could see being in the all-conference mix for CSU? Because obviously this league is super deep. I mean, Isaiah's a no-brainer. I think where it gets tricky though is guys like Cartier and Scott who are so great on and impactful on one end of the floor, but it's like yeah. they're they're kind of together in the aggregate to create what CSU needs and in, in the front court. Like they work yeah. together to make it work. Neek, I think, is a guy that could be in the mix, especially if he ends up finishing around like 15 points a game, keeps rebounding the way he does. But um I don't know. I, it wouldn't shock me if this team ends up only having one all-conference selection just because the the production is is so spread out. Yeah, I think I think that's very possible. Sort of a split vote situation. Uh, yeah, that you know number four has a you know he might be all-conference. We'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all jokes aside, he's I think the clear front runner for player of the year obviously guys like Osabor, Jaden Ladee is probably Ladee's gotta be the top competitor so some of it will come down to team success but I think right now Stevens is probably the front runner uh but yeah beyond that you know I I do remember I have to point out why I say smart things because it's rare uh but I think it was during the Mountain West tournament last year I tweeted something about you know Patrick Cardia has a chance to be all conference next year he's playing at that level does he get it you know yeah some of it comes down to to splitting votes and whatnot but he has a chance i do think he has a better chance than like a scott partially right or wrong just scoring numbers matter you know people just lean on those um and so if he scores at a 15 point per game clip he'll probably be in there the mountain west is also kind of lightish on bigs it's a really good guard league so i don't know if that helps or hurts him you know you could end up with all the teams basically being a bunch of guards because i don't think most of them it depends. Every voter does it a little differently, but um, they might just pick, you know, a bunch of guards. But yeah, I think Scott's probably, probably on the outside, doesn't score enough. Clifford, yeah, is sort of the wild card. If he has a few, if he were to have a big game and a, a win at Viejas or something and, yeah, finish with the numbers that you suggested, that helps. And certainly he, you know, he jumps off the page, if you will, you know, when you're watching tape with the athleticism. So he has a chance, but... You know, what does the Mountain West, I think, do three teams, I yeah. believe, officially? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think two is CSU's max um, just because, you know, the depth hurts them in this way. I think they would happily take the the hurt, if you will, of all conference votes. But you do have kind of a split between, you know, those guys behind Stevens of Scott, Cartier, Clifford all have some, you know, sort of say, but I'm not sure their guarantees. I do think Joe Palmer has a really, really good chance at six man of the year. Um, I would need to do a little bit more in-depth dive. But I think of guys that you know are true bench players. I think he's probably number one. Him and uh, True Washington and New Mexico yeah, has had yeah, some that's big a good games. Um, I think Jalen Lake could maybe be in that mix too, depending on how many games he ultimately starts. Him. And I was going to say that'll be that'll interesting, interesting when Josiah comes back. You know, Jalen's playing so well. Do they keep starting him? Um, yeah, I could see a situation where he stays in the starting lineup. I could, I could see a situation where he stays at for a couple games as Josiah gets his legs back and then they go back to Josiah. So yeah, that, that's a big question mark too, of who starts there. And then you know, honestly, if Jalen stays in the starting lineup, Josiah would you know, then potentially have a chance too. So, um, some options there, I think CSU, you know, maybe they'll end up splitting votes there too, but right now I think they have a good chance at six, six man of the year. What's your personal preference in terms of doing like an all conference ballot? Do you want just the oh. five best guys or are you more traditional? Like I want two guards, you know, and some combination of a front court. I try and build a real team in my vote, you know, like uh, you can run this out there and play now, not going to lie. Uh, you know, tends to be sort of a guard wing heavy team, but I think that's fitting for current that's modern you know, basketball. basketball anyway. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm, I try and avoid putting Isaiah Stevens at, at center, um, you know, so to speak. So yeah, I try and build a real team, but it's definitely guard wing heavy just because that's what the league is. Um, there just aren't, you know, for, seems like for the past few years, it's Mensa, Kata a few years ago, and then a bunch of guards and wings. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the game these days and like the, the Zach Eadies of the world traditionally are not in the Mountain West. So it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. We'll get right back to that interview with Kevin, but when you get hurt, Bax and Shanker is here to help. Bax and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No fees while they work on your case. No upfront fees. No fees unless they win your case and win money for you. They've already won over a billion dollars for their clients. They have more locations than ever serving all of Colorado. Check it out. Any of their neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, or Fort Collins. They have the staff and strength to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bax and Shanker helps all kinds of injury cases where you weren't at fault. Car accident, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Bax and Shanker at 222-22 to find out if you have a case for free. Bax and Shanker wins. I also want to talk to you guys about the premier dispensary in northeastern Colorado. Of course, I'm talking about High Plains Strains. They provide top-quality cannabis and a wide variety of products. Check them out for all your needs. Infuse edibles, high-potency concentrates, and some of the best flour in the state. They have three convenient locations in northeastern Colorado, Log Lane Village, Garden City, and Sedgwick. You can order online at highplainstrains.com, and they have convenient drive throughs at all their locations. You don't even have to get out of your car. Again, order online at highplainstrains.com. Make sure you mention the code DNVR if you're in person or, again, just use that code online. Full ounce for 80 bucks. Veritas 8ths are 25. Mammoth 1-gram cartridges for 15. And exquisite extracts are 4 for 40. One last time, remember to use that code DNVR online or mention DNVR in stores to take advantage of these High Plain Strains deals. 
Finally, our longtime partners over at Breckenridge Brewery know how to make any occasion better. If you're watching a game, if you're chilling with buddies, it's always better with an ice-cold Breck brew in hands. They've been doing it for 33 years. It all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. What's cool is they've got a little something for everybody. I'm a big Avalanche Amber Ale guy. You can never go wrong with the Mountain Beach Sour. Uh, Maybe you want a good company hard seltzer, mix it up a little bit. Whatever you're into, they've got something for you. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com to find a brew near you. Uh, Just a couple of football questions for you. Obviously, we still have National Signing Day. The early period kind of takes some of the the luster out, but we still have to follow transfers and all that. Um, What are your thoughts? Just a couple of main takeaways on this 2024 class as a whole. I mean, West Coast heavy seems like they got some decent speed there. Just what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, on paper, really good class. Obviously, the rankings are are high level. Obviously, grain of salt with those, but you know, it does does matter if you're recruiting guys that other schools want. That tends to be a good sign. Um, I think skill. Uh, you know, there's no just no doubt that this staff just lands skill guys. I mean, you look at the receivers; they look really talented. All three of them. Obviously, Jordan Ross is sort of the highlight, but I think all three. Um, seem to have pretty good potential. Darius Curry is a super fascinating quarterback prospect because, you know, in some ways, because he does not fit the normal Norvell model. Norvell's, you know, spoken a lot about, you know, big, strong arm quarterbacks, and he's, you know, not a tall guy. But, you know, I asked Norvell about that, and he said, yeah, he's he's just a different cat. You know, he's, uh, you know, a playmaker, uh, you know, can accurate footballs, you know, in spots as needed, and then also just a great leader. You know, he called him one of those Pied Piper kind of guys, credited him with Jordan Ross and a couple other guys coming here because they wanted to be with Curry. So um, we'll be fascinated to see him. And I, the defensive side is so intriguing. You can tell, man, just this mold that they're trying to get. It's a lot of guys that are just big-time athletes that play multiple positions in high school that they're going to make um, you know, defensive players into, you know, the D line guys, you know, your edges are all these kind of, kind of like SEC body types, um, linebackers, you know, like a Jane Landrum played a lot at like receiver, but, you know, obviously a theory is sideline to sideline. So I think it's really fascinating seeing how they do that. And a lot of the sort of diamond, the rough guys, you know, that maybe haven't played a ton or played a ton defensively that they're going to you know try and grow on that side. So, you know, on paper seems like a, a really good class you have certainly a handful of guys i think have a chance to to play next year and um you know see what happens but you know on paper good high school class and you know i know people get angsty about transfers but really that comes a little later because all those transfer visits happen kind of right now um and they all commit you know right before the semester starts so i would expect we'll see news on that side you know pretty soon here what position groups would you expect them to target i'd Seems like we've seen some defensive linemen, which makes sense given what they lost. Uh, corners probably always a position they should target. Yeah, you know, D line. You know, I know. You know, new defensive line coach came from New Mexico State. Obviously, we've seen that one of the New Mexico State D line transfers is, is on a recruiting visit, so that seems you know like a, a decent chance because yeah, you'll want to re- refill that position a little bit. Cornerback has to be number one. You know, between. You know, Chiggy and Ron Harge, you know, out of eligibility, TJ Crandall transferred out. You're just really thin there. You know, I've, I've heard rumor of one, 
one that you know think has quietly committed. I won't put a name out there yet, um, just because I want to rumor mill it before I'm 100 percent certain. Uh, but a veteran corner there, I know there. I think we've seen there's another. Um, I think FCS level corner um, on a visit now. So that you know, I would expect you probably get at least two corner transfers has to be a priority, and then tight end. Um, I know they've offered uh, you know uh, there. I'll be interested, you know, do they go for like, hey, if we get, you know, the one guy that we think can be a star, we'll go for it. But if not, we'll ride with our younger guys like Vince Brown and Mason Malau. Um, or, you know, do they feel feel they really have to get one? So tight ends kind of an interesting one. And then we already saw Chandler Brown, offensive lineman. He you know, posted his commitment. You, you figure depth there is always um, on the to-do list. On a scale of one to ten, 10 being freaking out. What do you think the fans should be in terms of just their mindset in terms of talent uh, retained slash lost? I mean, obviously Holker goes pro you lose Grady Kelly and Crandall, a couple of projected starters on defense. Lewis Brown would have started at receiver, but Torrey Horton comes back and that offsets a lot of the worry offensively, especially given, you know, you kept your quarterback, especially with the UNLV situation, you know, where would you be at? Cause I would say, before Tory came back and we had found out that Crandall, LB, and Grady were all leaving, I was like, I was probably at like a six out of ten. It seemed pretty bad. Tory comes back probably more like two and a half, three. Yes, it's a bummer. You lost some guys you're gonna depend on. But I, I don't know. Or or am I underselling it? Because I mean Grady and Crandall are those are some pretty intriguing talents, and LB had his moments too. Yeah, I'd I'd have in, yeah, like the three, four range. Like offensively, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Your your O line of guys that, you know, you had a chance to retain, you're you're good there. Quarterback, obviously you're set there. Um receiver, yeah, LB's a talented guy, but the fact that Tories comes back, you know, no offense to LB, but that kind of wipes that out. Especially, you know, there are young guys coming both in the the true freshman class and and guys that, you know, we saw bits of last year. So I think the receiving core is is fine. Tied in, that's a big loss. I mean, Holker does so much. Um, you know, if, if somehow you got him and Horton back, that would have been phenomenal. But, you know, Norvell, the staff has has had a lot of tight end success. So I think you have to feel fairly confident that one way or another, whether it's young guys or a transfer, they'll be okay there. Uh, it is defensively. You know, Crandall, I think, was a significant loss. D-line, great. Kelly, good, you know, quite good player. Um, certainly a loss, but they also have a lot of talented D linemen. So I'm not as worried there. Um, it's more the the secondary, the cornerback spot that has my concern. You know, of my three to four, I'd say cornerback has taken up about a two and a half of that. Fair. Uh, I bet me too. I mean, they've got so many young defensive linemen, especially if, you know, Kennedy McDowell can come back healthy. You know, obviously newer popped in a major way. Yeah, interior you may be a little worried but i mean you've still got a lot of these guys james mitchell and stuff that you've been able to develop so yeah, yeah it seemed like budo is a really good coach so you, you kind of have some faith that the young guys were developing well chuka the new guy on paper seems like a really good hire so it seems like a position that they're doing pretty decent and um that yeah you had some losses but you know you should be okay I've been asked to ask you what your favorite party in college was. That's what he got tagged on Twitter. So I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing you do. I don't really, um, but I can share a story. I think the statute of limitations have passed on this one. <laughs> um, I was a, a student at CSU. 
working at the collegian so as you know this must have been the fall because i remember we were at football practice every day and you know this is fairchild era and pete condodiakis was the punter big pete and so you know how specialists are in practice they don't really do much you know they kick for 15 minutes do some other stuff yeah you know, yeah you can't kick for two straight hours so you know they do some kind of jogging around but they'd always kind of be around so you know, sometimes they come and talk to the little media contingent. So, you know, I kind of loosely knew Pete. Uh, me and, and some friends, including, you know, another collegian member, were at a, a party. We walk in, you know, just a house party ends up being uh, pretty much a football party. And this is kind of late in what ended up being Fairchild's last year. So they're losing a lot. You know how that goes with coverage. Obviously, what we're writing isn't like the happiest stuff in the world. So, like not all, you know, you, you feel a little uncomfortable, you know, in case someone gets mad. But anyway, I'm working my th- way through like a kitchen area and Pete is in there. Pete Kenodiakis. And um, I just, you know, I think I was just trying to work by him. I said, excuse me, Pete, or something like that. And he turns around, grabs me by the collar, goes, you know, basically, how the heck do you know my name? I'm like, dude, I see you at practice every day. <laughs> he did not seem to know who I was. So um yeah i'm sure there was a drink or two involved uh probably on both sides um but yeah we decided to hightail it out of that party pretty quick because uh pete's a big fella and i didn't really want him to be uh mad or wondering how how i knew who he was so so we got out of there so i don't i don't know uh if that was the story they're asking for i i can't really think of others but it's a funny one i i get a kick out of it because you know pete pete was a funny guy so you know maybe he was just messing with me but it, it caught my attention. We moved on. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that a football player would be surprised that somebody knows who he is on campus. Well, especially I say, you know, I practice every day. You know, it's not like I was hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've seen you catch a lot of flack uh, for the Colorado and picking up the CU beat under Deion Sanders and I don't know. I just, I thought I, you could maybe address it from your perspective because, you know, like obviously I make jokes about it when I see people giving you shit, but mm-hmm. you know, my perspective is, you know, it hasn't impacted the CSU coverage at all. The business side of things is, is every outlet in the state is going to cover that. It's a national story, but I don't know. I mean, you can pass if you want, but I just figured if, if you wanted to address it, maybe we could ease the minds of some Ram fans just to give you a chance to clear the air, give some thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm not happy to share um, what that is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, basically Deion Sanders comes in, obviously, like it or not, you know, there's a lot of attention on that. So, you know, we had a couple stories kind of here and there early last season. And to be frank, leadership was was crazy huge. Um, so anyway, the powers that be, you know, kind of as the season moved along, you know, decided they wanted to add a full you know, beat, if you will, someone truly covering uh, CU. So, you know, Gannett is our, you know, parent company. And, you know, we're the Colorado and Fort Collins is the closest site to uh, Boulder. There's no one else really close, you know, Boulder, or uh, excuse me, Pueblo is is kind of our other one in the state. So there's no one really close. So uh, it kind of makes sense that we're sort of the host. So, yeah, they decided to hire a, a CU beat person. Um, so we've, we've done that. Um, He's based out of kind of the Denver Boulder area anyway, but, but, you know, internally, I guess is housed at the Colorado and, uh, and yeah, I mean, there's going to be CU stories. Obviously that's led to, you know, some emails and social media comments, which, you know, whatever I get, if you're a hardcore CSU fan, I understand, you know, not wanting to see those stories, but on the other hand, 
uh, just scroll past them. Um, it's not really that hard. We're not forcing you to read them. Uh, and yeah, from the CSU stamp, I think most importantly, yeah, the CSU coverage has not changed at all. I travel to road football games. I'm not on this basketball trip. I'll be on ensuing ones after that, you know, uh, yeah, Vegas, you know, I'm, I'm doing kind of the same coverage always have been for CSU. And, you know, to be frank, I was offered that job to be the CU uh, beat person and, and turned it down to continue the, the CSU coverage for the Colorado. And so, uh, you know, it's a, like it or not, it's a high interest topic right now. And, um, I've, you know, some people claim, well, you know, no one Fort Collins wants to read it. You know, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are reading it and they're, you know, CU people in Fort Collins like it or not. And, um, but yeah, like I say, I, I would just say most important, if you're a CSU fan, the CSU coverage is the exact same. I'll continue to be doing what I do and, um, try and bring you all, you know, all the info I can on, on the Rams and, and various sports and travel games and everything. So I would say if you don't want to read it, that's totally fine. Totally understand. Please just scroll on by and, and hopefully read the CSU stories. So, so yeah, it's uh, like, I get it's, it's different new, but it's a different new situation right now too. There you go, Ram fans. Give my guy, Kevin, a break. He is loyal through and through stuck with the green and gold. Messed around and made it personal. Didn't want to cover Dion, I guess. So I hope he doesn't hear that. We'll hear about that in September. (laughs) It's always good to have you on the pod, dude. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be. I got blood on my shirt, like I wear my heart on my sleeve. She said I look good in red, but that went straight to my head. So now she's rocking my teeth, tucked into new Prada jeans. And we ain't spoken a month, but I just saw her last week. The lipstick stain still on my cheek, like we ain't talk enough. And we always seem to laugh, but never nod at us. So the future's looking grim, it's kinda ominous. And this song ain't about love, that'd be too obvious. See, this is more about lust and all of my misconceptions. And this is more about me and all of my self-deception. I'll tell myself a lie 100 times, don't need corrections. But every night I pray to God, I hope I learn my lesson. And the peaches out from Palisade. And they sweet as mama's marmalade. And this should sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. And my mama slapped that bass, and my sister sang these songs. Dancing hand in hand, we were tripping two left feet like a middle school slow dance. No one knew how to leave, but I'm still thankful for these days. They put a smile.